Have you ever had a big idea and wondered, how do I get this idea started? And how do I turn it into a reality? How do I get the manufacturing process going? Well, you're listening to episode nine of the Products Boss podcast. In this episode, Jacqueline and I drop some major knowledge bombs. We go over the exact steps and helpful tips from beginning to end for manufacturing your big idea. Let's get started. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlosita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder. She has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey everyone, it's Jacqueline, and I want to introduce you to my lovely co-host, Mina. Hey, Mina. Hey, Jacqueline. Hey, everybody. So today we are talking about manufacturing your big idea. We originally thought we'd name this episode, Bringing Your Idea to Fruition, but we thought fruition was going to be a hard word to say, and we would probably say it a lot of times and mess up. So Thanks again. And we are talking about manufacturing your big idea. Mina, are you ready? Yes, really ready. (laughs) So sort of want to front load this episode and chat about the big idea and all the steps you might want to take or think about taking to get you from your concept through production and what you can learn from it. And then we're going to dig deep into it later on in the episode. So if anything, listen to this front part and you want to dig deeper, keep listening. So with a big idea, initially you come up with your concept. And once you come up with that concept, you need to validate that idea. Is it needed and is it possible? Then what you want to do is there will be a section of design. So you'll want to figure out how to create this product and what it looks like. And I would say at the same time of designing it, you want to start thinking about its presence. Is it being sold in stores? Is it being sold online? And how will you package it or display it? So keep those things in mind as you're coming up with the idea for the product and the design of the packaging. Then after that, you are going to need to manufacture your product. You're going to need to develop it and manufacture it. So in that, we want you to become a student. We want you to learn the lingo of your industry. And your idea might need to change once you start talking to these manufacturers and start developing. But you'll know that as you're going through the process and it's never too late. Then what you want to do is once you've created this item and you've maybe got a development sample, you want to get multiple quotes from different manufacturers. So let's compare. Compare timing compare price, compare quality. You need to weigh those pros and cons. And then also at the same time, you're looking at packaging partners. So those commercial printers or packaging manufacturers, or maybe you're just ordering things on Uline and slapping some stickers on them. Whatever it is, you're going to want to think about that package and let's say tags, labels, that sort of thing as you're finalizing your development because packaging will take almost as long sometimes to design and develop and produce as your product. So 
they'll all come together. And lastly, you'll send those into production. So you'll send your packaging in for print, or you'll place that order for the box or the labels or the hang tags and the bags. And then also you'll send your product into production. And whatever the case, if this is your first run, we want you to pay close attention to it. It is going to be your hardest. It is going to be the biggest learning curve. But once you're out of it, you will come out with so much more knowledge and next time you'll be able to shortcut that process. So that is our, you know, start to finish on manufacturing your big idea. So let's dig in, Nina. Okay. Sounds great. So let's start chatting about the big idea and concept. Yeah. So the big idea, are people going to buy it? Is it possible? And then also, is it available? This is where you want to be looking at you know, is the website URL available? What names are you thinking about? What is the idea? Who's going to buy it? And will they pay money for it? I always like to ask why. Why are you doing this? Why are you going to take your savings and not go on a safari to Africa <laughs> and put it into this product? Because seriously, if you have a small amount of money, you either need to know that you can do something with that or maybe it's an idea. Not every idea needs to have action taken on it. As entrepreneurs, we have a ton, ton, ton of ideas. Not all should happen. And some should, especially those ones I feel like you'll look back and regret that you didn't do it. So it's that idea initially, and then you would move into validating that idea, right? Yeah, validating and making sure. I mean, don't use your relatives as your validation point. They will pretty much tell you, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. Like, that's awesome. So I think that you need to really figure out who your ideal client is and see if they're willing to pay money for it. If you listen to this podcast, you'll see how Mina and I come from super different family backgrounds because <laughs> my mom would probably say, why? <laughs> like I get some crazy looks from people thinking, okay, Jacqueline, that's okay. That's a nice idea because there's also not dreamers out there and it's hard sometimes for people to wrap their heads around it. So your family is not ideal. And no matter what, I think it's a good idea to almost have your own sort of focus group. So friends, family, friends of friends, where you focus on people. And if you're part of any communities online that you feel safe in and that your product's not something that could be easily knocked off, you could also take a poll like, hey, how many people feel like they need dailies for their baby bottles? If you were like in a mom, you know, a mom group or something. So you could validate amongst customers. Yeah. And then you get to see actually if you're producing a product that solves a problem. Is this something that is needed in the market? that solves a problem for your ideal client or your ideal customer. And that way you get to see if those people are willing to put their dollar bills where their mouth is. is that the same? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like to tell my clients because I, you know, I've worked with so many people coming up with fashion brands and sometimes I'm like, why, you know, why, why is <laughs> I say that in the most kind and loving way? <laughs> But really, why? And what are you meeting the needs of? Or what's a wish? So if you think about your customer, she might wish 
let's just, let's just make up one. Your customer might wish that she had adult sized tutus because she loves tutus. <laughs> she loves two-year-olds that wear tutus and she wants a tutu in her size. And so if only there was a company that came out with adult sized tutus in pink and purple and sparkles. I don't know. Again, not all ideas need to be taken into action. Off. <laughs> but if you could figure out what that wish is for the customer and how you could meet that need, that would be one, you know, coming up with your concept and then trying to validate it by figuring out what your customer needs. So finding that niche in the market. Right. And seeing if there is even a need, you know, like Jacqueline says, why, why? (laughs) (laughs) Why tutus for adults? (laughs) So let's say you decide to move forward with it, Jacqueline, like what's the next line of thinking here? So, you know, I think no matter what, you really want to work on your customer and your customer avatar. So as you're validating it, you're really honing into your customer because there might be that need out there, however niche that it is. And then after that, I'm a designer by trade. So I would say that design is important. So even if you are not a designer, you start to sketch or pull ideas together. Then you might want to find an expert that, or, you know, a designer. So depending what you're creating. If you're doing a toy product, you may hire a toy designer. If you're doing fashion, a fashion designer, or even a graphic, someone in graphics that can actually illustrate it for you. Someone who can actually draw the product three-dimensionally to explain it. Cause I tell my clients all the time, it's like hiring an architect to build your house so they can give clear plans. So once you figure out the design, you also need to figure out the materials you're using. And as you're starting to figure that out, think about your packaging as well. It doesn't have to happen at the same time, but the idea should be there. Cause like I said, in the beginning, how is this being sold? Is it in a package? Is it hanging in stores? Is it being shipped just directly online and packaging is not that big a deal? So what do you think about that, Mina? So I think it's super important. Your packaging is so important because at the end of the day, when you're trying to sell it, is it this 50 pound box that you're going to have to ship somewhere? And are people willing to buy that and have it shipped to them? Or is it going to be at the end cap of like a target aisle and there's really no room for it? Or is it going to be hanging up and, you know, is it going to be shown in its best light? So really packaging is super important. Also, I think that it's great that you said to hire people. Those people are of that industry. So they know what they're doing. They know what holes and gaps need to be filled in. And then also they can teach you a little bit too. You're really, like we mentioned before, becoming a student of the industry. If you want to be part of the industry, you're going to have to learn from the industry. It's like when I first met Jacqueline, she was talking about tech packs, which I'm guessing are pattern packs, right, Jacqueline? Well, I like to say they're the Bible of the garment. So tech pack is all of, it's like I said, the architectural drawing of the garment that indicates how it's made, plus all the materials you're using and what the pieces are that go into it. So it's more or less everything you would need to manufacture that product. Yeah. And when I was going into labels, I kind of had an idea that I needed a certain label material and a label adhesive, but I learned so much about the industry even before producing my product. Like for instance, when you're printing a label and it gets cut down into the shape, the part that gets pulled away and thrown away in between, you know, the cuts is called the matrix. First of all, that's the coolest name ever. (laughs) Secondly, I would never have known going in that I should be asking for the matrix to be pulled away. 
So really learning the lingo and becoming part of the industry, because if you want to be a real brand within the industry, you're going to have to know as much as you can about it. Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, that was our point. So once the design is created, if you find an expert in your industry, they will teach you. So they will, you will become the student and you will learn the lingo. I have a sheet, a cheat sheet for my clients for when they go to trade shows to source fabrics that basically are questions to ask while sourcing fabrics. So they don't sound like a newbie and that they are asking the right questions because you don't know what you don't know. So you might find a fabric that you're in love with, place an order, and then find out all of a sudden you have to order 500 or 1,000 yards and that's not appropriate for your company. And so you do want to be open to learning and just learning as much as you can, listening to podcasts, YouTube videos, reading, getting books, and then the expert. I mean, last year was my year of experts and it just escalated my business. Like it moved me forward tenfold. Yeah. And also, even when you're thinking about packaging, there's different things like the term bleed when colors bleed off the edge that costs more than when there's like this white outline, for instance. So learning about that and the packaging that you'll want, learning the standard sizes. When things come in standard sizes and there's already like a die cut of that size, it is substantially less because you don't have to pay for a new size. So any of that stuff, even when you're thinking about shipping, for instance, if you're shipping out a box, how much will it cost? Usually USPS, for instance, has maximum sizes. So dimensions of a box. Will your box fit into within that maximum dimension? So any of those things where you just learn as much as you can so you know what quotes and what prices and what costs you're really going to have in the end. And just remember, especially if this is your first time, you're learning. Cut yourself some slack. Stay open to learning and just don't make those mistakes again. Learn from mistakes that you do make. But to learn the language of your industry, I could design a toy. I could draw a picture right now of a doll I want to make, but I have no idea whether I'm using the right materials, like how it works with a mold versus getting a face painted on. And so if I could find an expert to talk to, even as a consultant, a toy designer consultant that has worked in that industry, then they would be able to then explain to me some parts that I don't know yet. So do look for the help, look for the experts, look for the groups that you can join and start that conversation. So after that, you'll be implementing those learnings and then you're going to get quotes. So in that way, what will happen is you're gonna have two separate times. You're gonna have development and you're gonna have production. Initially, you'll take your product to be developed. Many times, the factory that can develop your product is also someone who can produce your product. And many and oftentimes, they want to try it out initially to try it. They'd be able to give you an appropriate quote after they made the development sample and then move you into production and give you a quote there. So you will start on getting quotes. And when we say quotes, it's not just financial quotes, it's timing, it's quality, it's figuring out who else they've worked with in the industry, seeing samples that they've done, because you're going to be weighing out your options and comparing between the different vendors on whether you should work with them. And that also goes with whoever is going to be developing your packaging. Yeah. And when you're thinking about who to pull quotes from, 
do not get discouraged. When I was trying to figure out how to do my labels, I approached 12 different manufacturers and every one of them said, we don't do baby bottle labels. We don't do baby bottle labels, but I didn't give up. I learned the industry. I learned, Hey, I actually want a waterproof label that can withstand these temperatures. You know, I really learned the speak of the industry because there is no manufacturer out there that will want to sit down with you and brainstorm what those differences are. Like you can tweak it this way. You can tweak it that way. That's where the consultant and the expert comes in where they can be like, Hey, here's what you need and how to ask for it. So you're really asking for the right quote and they're asking the right questions and digging deeper with each manufacturer and they'll be able to give you exactly the type of quote that you want. Really when you're pulling from a commercial printer quote, let's say, even they say, what type of color is it? Is it four process? Is it one color? Is it what's the flat dimensions? What's the end dimensions? And then does it have bleed? Doesn't it have bleed? Everything like that, where unless you know about pulling a quote from a commercial printer, that is just not lingo that's in your wheelhouse. And then also, that's exactly the type of talk that you need from every single manufacturer. So you're pulling the exact same quote from like whoever, multiple quotes from multiple manufacturers. And that way you can really see you're comparing A to A, apples to apples. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're able to see like, what manufacturer has the best quality and which ones that you like the best. So Mina, I mean, you and I have had similar backgrounds in the way that we came from industries that are relatable to maybe where we're at now. So I went to school for fashion design, shout out to Otis College of Art and Design. (laughs) And we wanted to be designers, but when we, the whole program was, you will learn to sew, you will learn how to do patterns, you will learn how to drape garments because the head of our program was like, if you don't know how to make the product, you can't design the product correctly. And you can't instruct the people that are making the product for you on how to do it correctly. So if you understand how a garment gets put together, you'll one design more appropriately. And two, if you do run into a pattern maker, a sewer that says, this is not possible because people say that, you know, and it's more of, I don't know if it's that they're lazy or that they're just, you know, people got set in their own ways and the innovators are the ones that are like, we can do that. And, you know, like think about the internet, (laughs) (laughs) how do you make that happen? And so there's the innovators and they're the ones who will figure it out and instruct. And so for us, for me, I've done so many products where if I can work it out in my head and come up with a solution then I can tell the person who's going to be making it, this is how you do it. Try it like this. And you know, that's probably the same for you where they're also stuck in their ways. They didn't even really want to waste their time on this baby bottle idea, right? Right. They straight up said, we don't do baby bottle labels, but that's because I was phrasing them as baby bottle labels. You know, if they heard waterproof labels or water resistant labels, any of that, they would understand and they'd be like, yeah, we have that. Which kind of brings me back to what we were talking about before, which was, did we talk about reference products? No, no, we missed that one. (laughs) (laughs) So there's such a thing as reference products, which are products that are already made. So a lot of times it's easier to go into a manufacturer and say, here's what I would like to do, but can we shift it and evolve it a little to look like this? So just a quick story. When I had tried out, I 
in my first year of running low labels, I tried out for Shark Tank. And the guy, I think his name was Scott Sanders. I'm not sure. It was Scott something, but he was hilarious. He was the producer. He straight up said to us, we see almost 50,000 entrepreneurs a year, and we, there is no idea out there that is original. We have seen everything. We have seen it all. Even if you think that your idea is original, it is not. It's been done, which is also a plus because now you can go out to all these different products and the, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can take a machine that does something else and really reinvent it to what you're trying to get it to do. I didn't invent the label. I just made it what I wanted it to be. And then also just another side note for the Shark Tank experience. So he also said, when you get into line, make sure that you have your application ready. See, like that girl. And he pointed to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that has stuck with me. And that just goes to show you what a teacher's pet I was because I was so proud in that moment that, see, see, I have my application out. <laughs> You're like, and I graduated in three years from college. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much for pointing that out. Thank you, Scott Sanders. <laughs> or whatever your name is. Yeah, I know. I don't even remember his name. But he was hilarious, but very blunt and so funny. And I that stuck with me. That was one of my highlights of my Shark Tank experience. <laughs> we both had Shark Tank experiences. I always say, I say this to my clients, you can't reinvent the wheel, but you can redesign it. So it's that oh, idea of, thank you. Because I too... I don't actually, I would hate watching Shark Tank as much as I volunteered or not volunteered, applied for it and also got to the same stage as you. But it stressed me out because it was literally like my phone calls every day with potential clients telling me about their ideas. And generally there's a shared consciousness that certain ideas are floating around amongst a lot of people. So for example, some years back, sexy swimwear was in. Every single person that called me was doing sexy swimwear, <laughs> <laughs> like lingerie inspired swim swimwear. And I would have three to four clients doing the exact same thing, even bringing in the same samples. Everyone was different. Everyone, you know, we produced, if you all wanted like a little Brazilian bikini bottom, each one was made separately according to the client, but we had multiples. And then it went into men's swimwear. Then there were uh, like game day type stuff. And then recently it's been athletic athleisure wear because everyone sees how big Lululemon is. So you'll see these trends happening because we're all sort of sharing this shared consciousness of a trend that's happening. If your phone's getting bigger and something needs to, you know, pop sockets are the thing. But yeah, you're right. I mean, no idea is original, original. So Cuffs Couture was inspired by athletic. That's my brand, Cuffs Couture that I did. And it's a wrist wallet accessory. And there were athletic wrist wallets, but there weren't ones to go out with. And I'm a fashion girl and I wanted to look cute and dance without a purse. And so I took an idea and redesigned it and remarketed it. Like it wasn't for the runner, but it was for the girl who hated having her bag while she went out to the clubs and she just needed her key and credit card and cell phone and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. I think that when you're trying to do a super original idea and you seriously believe wholeheartedly that it's original and then months later you're like oh my gosh there it is they stole my idea yeah. how many times have you said that as an entrepreneur <laughs> my husband says that all the time like once a month he'll be like i came up with that idea <laughs> and um, so back to like the reference items for me i brought in a wrist wallet and i said i like this and this is what i want to change so with my fashion clients, pants is a huge thing. People always want to do pants and they want to sort of reinvent pants. But the way that a pant fits 
in the crotch area and the inseam and all that, you should use a reference garment. So you're not starting from scratch. Let's start from a base. And same thing with, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out gloves. If you wanted to do fingerless gloves, <laughs> you would... <laughs> take a glove, you'd cut the fingers off it, and then you'd take it to a glove manufacturer and say, this is what I want to happen. Because before fingerless gloves came out, maybe someone was like, why would you ever have gloves without fingers? <laughs> yeah. You know? And so you need to convince them and show them that the product is possible and this is how I want you to try it. And it's a lot easier for them to understand. Whereas like, instead of me saying, hey, I want baby bottle labels, they would be like, sorry, we don't do that. I'm saying I want this label, but I want it this way and with this adhesive and with this material and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm speaking their language and they can kind of get an idea of what they can do within my idea. So I have a friend slash business person that does Spice Trail, their gourmet snacks. So it's basically trail mix or granola. It's granola. But instead of going the route of sweet, they went the route of savory and they're inspired by multiple different types of ethnicities and cooking. So Indian, Moroccan, Texas barbecue. When you're coming up with a concept like that, you can share with, let's say the cook that's helping you create your recipe. You could share with them meals that you've liked. And so that's their reference. And you're adding that to something that exists already in the marketplace. And so you're showing somebody that no, really like, let's try the savory meat, something that's generally sweet. So you as the entrepreneur, you're sharing things that are out there and you're showing them how to create and innovate and do something new. Yeah, exactly. And you're doing that with multiple manufacturers. Very yeah. key for the love of baby Jesus. <laughs> get multiple quotes. It's just the same as if you're going to get your website done. You want multiple quotes from various people. You don't want to just go with the one website person. You want to go with different manufacturers because even if you're, they're producing the same thing, the price can be drastically different just depending on like how big of a roll of paper, let's say they got, or what machine they have, or any of that, where the pricing is, it can be substantially different. And then you can pick which one aligns with the quality that you want and the end result and really have multiple quotes to look at. So think about it, price, quality, and timing. So you pick the two most important things out of those three. So jot them down on a piece of paper, write down price, quality, timing, circle the two that are most important to you. So if you want a cheap price and you want good quality, it might take more time to produce that because they need more time to be able to create the quality, but keep your price lower. Versus if you have a short timeline, you might need to pay more to hit that shorter timeline. And then depending on that, depending on the vendor, it's good quality or bad. So sometimes when you're doing a new product, if the development isn't that expensive, if it's something that you maybe have developed, you have a pattern for, you have a mold, you have a recipe, you can actually try it, let's say with three different vendors and see how they execute it. So if you can afford to do that, I would test it out with them and see what their response is to you, how responsive they are. If they tell you it's going to be ready on Wednesday and it's ready on Monday, awesome. If they tell you it'll be ready on Wednesday and it's ready on Friday, then they've gone late for some reason. Because ultimately what you see in the beginning, because that's your dating phase, right? Like we're all super cute and put together when we're dating. <laughs> and then you get married. 
<laughs> you're not so cute. No. And so in that dating stage, they should be perfect. They should be everything you wanted them to be. And if they're not, know that that's showing you what they're going to do later. And if they change the price on you. So if you can try it, if your product allows for you to do that, I would try multiple vendors before you marry them. Yeah. And also you should make sure that your company that you're working with has a designated customer service rep for you. Key, key piece of advice because you want that person to have your back. You want that person to be working with you. You want to have a good dynamic with your customer service rep because that person is a key person that you're spending money on in your business. And so if that company doesn't have good customer service reps, it's probably likely that they don't have good customer service, you know? So that's what I like to do is I like to really look at my customer service rep and see if I like them. Find out who your key person is. So we work with a big manufacturing company and we do talk to the owner, but he's busy. He's doing a lot of things. So he is the person I go to for key things like quotes or if something's really late or some, you know, there's something wrong. But then there's our person, like we had this the other day where we ran into the owner. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll handle this for you. It came back, wasn't handled so great. We told our key person and she's like, oh no, no, no don't go to him, just come straight to me. And so she knows that she, that's her sole job and she's there to execute what we need. And so then, and listen, sweeten it up for them. Be nice to your person, send them gifts, <laughs> send them flowers when they make magic happen for you because they're the person that if there is a crisis, they're your advocate too at the factory, right? So like we're dealing with Chinese New Year right now and things are shutting down. We are very nice to our vendors. We pay on time. We are polite. We are understanding. And so Chinese New Year is happening. And I've got two vendors right now, one for zippers and one for fabric that are literally making magic happen in the weeks before China shuts down for the next month and a half. And that's why you need to know your person, know what you can ask of them and that they are there for you. Yeah, I've seen people flip out about Lunar New Year, seriously, because they don't realize that Lunar New Year is coming up, Chinese New Year, and they don't realize that actually China, the whole country of China, shuts down for like almost two months, and then they get mad at their vendors, but they don't understand that that's not part of their own culture here in America, but it's a really big part of respecting somebody else's culture, especially when you're paying that person as your manufacturer and they are, you know, in charge of your line, like for Pete's sake, just be nice. <laughs> and you know, another way that I am really nice to my vendors is that I just put happy faces in my emails, like something as small and silly as that, but they feel very personally connected to me because I say, Oh yeah, have a great day. Smiley face, you know, it's just like, you know what I'm talking about, right? That semicolon parenthesis. <laughs> I tell them that they're godsends, that they're like God's gift of fashion. I mean, and I'm serious sometimes, but you know, it's those little reminders and compliments. Like we know you're doing the best you can. So I think, you know, Mina, that was such a good point though, of that key person. And, and that is that customer service. So if it's a one man show, that one man show might be awesome for you or that person might be so busy doing other things that they might not get back to your emails for a while. They might be slow to go. So you really need to weigh out what works for you and your business. So once you've developed, like you've developed the product, you're getting quotes production or you know, you're, you're happy with the product, how it's made, you're getting quotes on production, you know your timeline on how long it will take to manufacture. 
and the cost associated and the quality, that's when you're going to send it to production. So usually around that time, if not before, you also want to get your packaging out of your hands. And like I said, at least in fashion and some of the packaging we deal with, like boxes, bags, labels, tags, some of that takes a while because you have to send the design, you get a sample back to check it, you might have adjustments, it goes back again. And a lot of this is done overseas, so the timeline is longer. So that goes back to other cultures, timelines, shipping and freight. You want your packaging worked out so that when you're in production on your actual product, the packaging is done at the same time so that the two at the end can be put together. So whether your factory is packaging for you or like Mina, you're employing people to come to your house and put it all together or you're doing it yourself while binge watching The Crown, whatever it is, <laughs> you want to make sure that you have everything you need so that when you get everything back in hand, you're ready to go. So Mina, what would you, what would you say about, what would be some of your tips for production? Well, first, before you get to this production stage, we forgot to mention, make sure your legal stuff is intact. Like when you're hiring the expert to get, talk to you about the industry, you need to be checking your trademarks and everything too, checking the patents, make sure you're not infringing on anybody else's idea. So make sure before you send to production that your legal stuff is intact. Let me just add to that. Mm -hmm. So if you're manufacturing overseas, your trademark or patent is only appropriate for wherever you filed it for. So I think there's seven places for a trademark across the globe. So I've heard of people who have, they have a trademark, it's in America, they're manufacturing in China or Korea, and then all of a sudden their trademark almost gets taken hostage where someone might then all of a sudden buy the Cuffs Couture trademark in China and then call me up and say, hey, by the way, I own this trademark. You can buy Cuffs Couture for $40,000 and then you can sell it in China. Otherwise, we own it and you can't sell it in China. It's kind of like trademark hijacking. Mm -hmm. So wherever you're going to manufacture, you probably want to make sure at least there you're protected. And then if you're going to be selling globally, talking to an attorney about that and then let's say in fashion, you need a manufacturer's license in certain states. So making sure that you, like you said, legally that you're aligned. And so talking to an attorney, to an expert, to people in the industry that would know what you need. So if you're in food again, then you're going to need certain health licenses and kitchens and the way that you label and package your items. Yeah. And if you have like a kid's item, you'll need to have it tested by a third party to make sure it's safe. Any of that stuff. There's so many things that an expert will be able to tell you what to do and how to do it. And then please hire out your legal stuff because (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to know everything. And those are really the experts that will take care of you. And don't think that your manufacturer is going to tell you what you need. So we have a manufacturer doing a kid's line for us out of China well, not for us, actually, for a client. And as a consultant, we said, hey, you're missing this certain label requirement that's necessary for kids' clothes and things meet in China. And so, you know, the client said to me, like, well, why didn't the factory say that? I'm like, because the factory doesn't care. Like, they're taking your instruction and they're making it according to your tech pack or to your instruction, and the client didn't even know that he needed that. And so by having us as his advocate, we were able to sort of, find that, catch that before he went into production on 500 kids bathing suits. And just to really quick go back to what we were talking about earlier, but 
just because that website's available doesn't mean that the trademark is available. So you may come up with a really awesome idea and a good name and you might be able to buy it, but that might be registered as a trademark with somebody else and therefore you can't use it in business. So that's another thing. Just because the website's available doesn't mean that the business name is available. Yeah, I actually ran into something where when I was doing private labeling, I did, you know, those pacifier clip thingies where you attach it to a pacifier and then it clips onto the kid's clothing. Oh, yeah. So I got a whole bunch of those made in my own designs and I called them Binky Buddy. So Binky Buddy or Binky actually was trademarked. It actually was already defunct. It was really somebody trademarked it forever ago but it still held more weight than me coming out as a new person and using that trademark. So they actually asked me very nicely. I got a cease and desist saying that is our trademark from 19, whatever. I can't even remember was a 1960 or something. And you're not allowed to use it. Please cease and desist. And I emailed them back and I said, Oh my gosh, I didn't actually realize that will you give me two months to sell out my inventory and I'll stop selling it? Because by that time I knew that I would sell out of my existing inventory in Amazon and they let me do it. And they gave me a specific date, a specific contract that I had to sign and they were really nice about it. So just, you know, by the way, there's so many people in Etsy using Binky that they were, should really stop then. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that for a sec. There are, huge, huge companies, like huge brands have entire law teams dedicated to trademarks and searching. And so we also had a client that actually got his trademark approved. So the name of his company was approved. The icon for his company was approved via the trademark office. And then he got a cease and desist from a huge outerwear company. And they said that it was too similar. His icon was too similar to theirs. It had squares and diamonds and it was somewhat similar, but not to be confused. But how are you going to fight a gigantic, gigantic brand as a new business? You can't, even if you're in the right, even if the trademark company or the trademark, the government has said it's okay, you don't have the funds necessarily sometimes to fight that. So you don't know that this is going to happen. You don't know that they're going to find you, but there are these bigger companies do have an entire business dedicated to making sure that they're the only people in their industry that look a certain way that there's no brand confusion. And as small businesses, we can't always compete with that or win against the giants. So just, you know, keep that in mind. And like Nina said, I mean, if you can work something out, work it out because it's always yeah. better to come to like to a happy place, a happy medium. It is. I could have been like, you don't own me. You don't own me. (laughs) But instead I was like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Can you give me a couple months? And, you know, if they're a nice company, they'll probably try to work it out. They know that they don't want to squash the underlings under them, you know? So it was only two months. They could have came back and said one month, but they gave me the two months. And so I just made it work. You just have to move on from it sometimes because like Jacqueline said, you don't have the funds to fight these people. And the legal thing is on their side, you know, the legal precedent or whatever. I don't know. Even if they're wrong, they have the money to be right or crush you until you don't have the funds. So that is something I think we've talked about, like picking yourself up and dusting yourself off. It sucks. But as long as you're not, you know, like we said, we want you to fail faster. Um, future episode, but (laughs) 
but instead, you know, instead of being like three years into your business, multiple stores and having to rebrand, it is better that it happens sooner than later. And you can just sort of move on from that and come up with another great idea in terms of name or logo or whatever it is. Right. And then, so now we're back at sending to production or sending to print. So key thing here is to make sure you double check everything, pay close attention to your first run. This is the most important because a lot of times it will just be reorders. So your first run is always the most important. So Jacqueline, have I ever told you the story of my first run of labels? I think you might have, but let's share that. So my first run went to print. Everything was all good. Got it into Amazon, got a bunch of complaints. I was like, what is going on? I tested these, had them tested, what's going on? Then I go back to the manufacturing sign-off thing that I had signed off on, and it was the wrong adhesive. It was in a removable grade of adhesive and not the super strong waterproofy adhesive that I wanted. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what happened here? So I contacted the manufacturer and they said, yeah, you signed off on this. This was on the contract that you signed that you sent it off to production to be printed or imprinted and cut up. And so I could have given up at that time, but coincidentally, this is just going to show you that be nice to your customer service people. I said to them, I'm not sure how this got switched to this because I talked to everybody about exactly what I wanted, but I talked to three different people and somehow signals got crossed. I'm not sure what was going on here, but here's who I initially talked to. Well, the guy that I initially talked to was the son of the company that did my production. So he was part owner, you know, he was the son. And he was like, well, we don't usually run anything at our cost, especially when you signed off on it, but we'll rerun this entire thing because you got onboarded with me, even though I passed you off to like two different people. So he reran that whole run, which is unheard of, at his own cost for me. And literally, they bit the bullet and took the cost under. And then I had to pull everything from Amazon, which was a cost, let me tell you. And then I had bad reviews. And then I just had to move forward. I pulled everything and had Amazon remove it, send it back to me. And then I redid the whole thing and I got it in to Amazon again, like a month and a half later. And then that manufacturer contacted me a couple weeks later and he was like, I just want to check in with you. I know we reran the whole thing. He didn't want to lose me as a customer because he knew that I would possibly be a good, you know, a good customer in the future. So which was really nice of him. And so then at that time was when I emailed him back and I said, actually, the crazy thing is that I have no idea how it's doing. I sent it into Amazon like three weeks ago and we're actually in the hospital right now because we came to my daughter's four month checkup and she had to go to emergency heart surgery. And, and then at that time we were, we just had gotten in there. And so he emailed me back saying, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. We're, our prayers are with you. And he built like this really good relationship with me. Well, I barely talked to him because my, you know, I wasn't paying any sort of attention to anything besides my daughter at the time. Well, a year later when I was evaluating how my life had changed and profoundly from the heart surgery and profoundly from all the people that had helped me during that time. He was one of the people that had changed my life. He re-ran that first run for me at no cost. And he 
basically made it so I wouldn't be discouraged. I pulled all that stuff from Amazon and made it happen. And I didn't get discouraged. And then I sent him an email in a year later saying, you changed my life. I just wanted to tell you, thank you. Here's how you did it. You reran that first run. I'm so thankful that I found you guys as my manufacturer. And now we have an amazing relationship. I'm not kidding. I know that's a uh, off, you know, like that's a once in a million lifetime story, but it just goes to show you how people come into your life and how they can change it and how they can be like these huge part of your story that you're, you don't even realize, you know? So that's incredible. yeah, first run went badly. Moral of the story, be nice to people and they can become your life changers. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing, right? We're all in it together. So we're, you're creating the product, you're bringing business to them. They're helping you execute your dream together. We are, we're all working together to manufacture and to create products, right? That's why we've created this community. And so not everyone's is understanding, but a lot of times in fashion, you know, people will make up for their mistakes, but that would bring me to what he had mentioned to you, the contract. Mm-hmm. going back to legal plus they don't tell you what you need to say or do right so they knew that you needed permanent bottles but they still made it that it wasn't permanent the labels and so they have no idea what's in your mindset they're going to do what you tell them so that's why your contract has to be super specific to what your needs are like in fashion we tell them the thread color to use i remember in college people had entire internships one of my friends had an internship at speedo and the entire summer all they did was identify the thread being used for the speedo logo that's embroidered onto bathing suits they matched fabric to thread. But it's important because if you assume that that person's going to put the right thread color on, you're surely mistaken. And so contracts, that's why we talked about like tech packs or some sort of instruction manual to what your needs are with specifications. And then in fashion, I'm not sure, you know, you tell me, but I'm sure there's a way of this, but in fashion, we ask for a TOP or a top of production. So that's before the entire production is ran. We get to see a production sample to catch mistakes. For you, it might have been that they sent you an initial print that you approved and then they go into production after? Yeah, it's not an actual tangible physical thing. It's a proof. You get a proof and you sign off on it. So it's electronic. And so you have to be very careful in everything you're signing and everything. It's not that they intentionally mess anything up. It's that you're not their only client, you know, so they have a million jobs, a million runs, so many things going on that they're not going to remember that, oh, this should be this adhesive or whatever. They're going to go into the run. The machines are going to do it and they are going to crank out a ton of jobs in a day, you know, so it's your responsibility really to make sure that you have all the details correct and right and that you're signing off on something that when they give you the proof and you A-OK it and you say OK to print or OK to produce, that it's exactly what you want. And think of an assembly line. So think about cars being made and the assembly line there, or I tell my clients all the time with clothing, not one person executes the entire product from start to finish. In fashion, samples might be made by one sewer and they're jumping onto a bunch of machines. In production, they might be sewing up all of your side seams and that's one sewer. And then that bundle of half sewn garments gets taken to another 
machine with another sewer and they're executing another portion of it. And then sometimes there's a lunch break or sometimes there's overtime or sometimes people switch machines. And then that first person hasn't told the other person, you know, oh, by the way, this garment looks like this, but we're actually changing it to this. That communication sometimes doesn't happen. But if this is documented on a piece of paper, if there's an exact production sample, something that shows this is how I want it, then you have your proof of, we call it a sew-by sample in fashion, but you have an actual sample that is approved to copy. And if there's changes, you want to make sure that it's you know, it's changed appropriately so that there's no sort of miscommunication. So that goes to like the contract and manufacturing and that we, I mean, we could talk about that probably forever. But like you said, I mean, it is the hardest and there's a lot of learning lessons. And that's awesome though, because as long as it doesn't put you out of business, what you've learned, you should just take that and do it better next time. Make a change next time. Yeah, improve your process. And another thing to keep in mind when you're picking your manufacturer too is again, shipping. Is that manufacturer like in Alaska? You know, if they are, it's going to take a lot of money to ship to you. So even having that in your cost and don't forget about shipping, you know, wherever you need it and everything. So, and also duties, like Uh freight duties. Oh my God. I ordered fabric from Italy once. I think it was $1,800 worth of fabric. They ship it to you. You say, okay, this is my courier. It goes through customs. Then UPS actually sends you a bill later once it gets to you uh, for freight and duties. And so I think I paid $1,200 for $1,800 worth of fabric. This is when I first started Cuffs Couture. It was this cost that was almost the exact same amount of the material I was buying that I had no idea it was coming. So when you are importing, shipping, especially if things are coming from overseas, ask them, is that landed? Does the price include getting it through customs to our shore? And then you just have to pay from, you know, if it gets shipped by boat to New York and then you need to get it from New York to Utah, then does that price include getting it to New York? And then you're just paying from the shipping from New York to Utah. Um, Those are just things that you're going to want to ask. So there's nothing, there's no surprises in the end. Right. I mean, there's, the cost can really add up and then just learning everything you can in the process as far as manufacturing goes. It's fun and wonderful to have this big, great idea in the beginning, but the implementation can get to be a lot if you don't know everything you need to know. And then we come to packaging. So like we said, you want them to both meet at the end and get married. So you can choose. So for example, Amina gets her, her production made you know, by her contractor and they ship it to her and she packages, she sorts and packages at home. There's some people that might be producing their own product and packaging at home. There are people that the factory can package for you, where you send them the boxes, you send them the bags, you send them the labels and the tags, and then they will actually take the finished product, they'll quality control it, or you go there to quality control in the factory, because let's not forget about quality control. You should be inspecting the goods before you ever send it to your customer, and before you finalize with the manufacturer that you're accepting the goods, because when you accept them, they might have terms like three days to inspect goods to let us know if there's some sort of quality issue. Then you could, if they're going to put the two together, the packaging and the item, you might be paying an extra charge for finishing. And so that's something to be aware of too. Not only do you have the cost of your packaging, but also the labor included for them to put the two together and then, you know, shipping to you versus if you're doing it yourself, weigh out that labor for yourself. 
are you paying yourself? Is it worth it? Or do you have to hire people to do it for you? Because you could be paying your manufacturer sometimes cents on the dollar to do mass quantities versus if you have to hire someone, you know, at your own factory or your own house or whatever it is, you know, a minimum wage or $15 an hour or whatever that is. Right. So for packaging, my manufacturer was able to do it. They were able to print everything I needed and fulfill it as well. All the finishing that you were talking about. It was my decision that I didn't want them to do it because since my background was in graphic design and commercial printing, I already had a commercial printer that I was working with for like a decade. So I got really good prices from my own commercial printer they wouldn't allow me to send my own stuff and for them to finish and pack and send out. So I just get everything sent to my house and I get everything fulfilled here in Iowa. And so the way that you think about a fulfillment center, there's ones where they can pack for you and the cost usually is five to 10 cents per touch. So let's say one touch is picking up the labels, sorting them. Second touch is putting it into the lip and seal package third touches, whatever. That's how they do it. They do it by touch. And usually there is an Iowa anyway. So there's where you pay them to package it and then where you pay them to send it out to whatever order. Like instead of using Amazon fulfillment, for instance, I could have them, those same fulfillment people send out per order and then they would cost per order, per touch, all that stuff. And so there's something for everything, guys. You don't have to do it yourself if you are willing to pay for it. And sometimes it just costs less for other people to do it for you because they have a warehouse. So they're charging you for storage space or warehouse space, and they're charging you to package, and they're charging you to send out. And if you make enough volume in sales, it's so much more worth it to focus on pushing that funnel of sales than it is for you in fulfilling it yourself. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to go about it, but you do have to, we were talking about profit first, you know, and you have to think about the profit and what your time is worth and what else you could be doing. So you as a CEO, as a designer, as the main person in your business, should you be spending that time? Can you afford to pay somebody else to be packaging and doing that sort of labor work versus you doing it? Or did you just go into a hundred piece production? You estimate it'll take you a couple hours. It's just worth it. For you to do that yourself. You know, it's like that idea of starting in the mailroom. If you've done all of it in the beginning, you will be able to instruct people and have an understanding of all the steps involved later. And, but if it's within your budget and it's appropriate, like the cost is appropriate to what you're selling it for and the labor, then you may want to hire it out. So there's no right or wrong. You have to weigh that out for your business. Yeah, I think it's great when you do start out for it. I think any big brand starts off in their living room packaging themselves. I heard an interview of Ojoy. She does all that stuff with Target. She was packaging stuff with her mom in their living room, you know, piece by piece. That's how I started. I wasn't my own mom. It was my mother-in-law. She helped me package in the beginning. And she she thought my idea was ridiculous, actually. It's kind of a funny story. She was like, why would people pay $9 for these labels? Because aren't labels really cheap? And I was like, no, these are waterproof labels. You know, they keep them on. They can stay up like I've had mine on sometimes six months, sometimes a year, and then it saves you time. Instead, you know, you don't have to write it every single day. And she was like, but why wouldn't you just write it every single day? And then you could save money. I was like, so you're willing to write on something every day for a year 
while your kids are on bottles rather than pay $9 for a package. So obviously, story told, she was not my ideal client. So that, just to give you an idea in that validation part, what I'm talking about, that was one of the people that was like, huh, I don't know. I don't know if I get your idea. So it's just make sure that you're looking at your idea from your ideal client because obviously it is needed and my ideal client or customer is one that likes to save time and likes that convenience. Same with Kev's Couture. My, one of my best friends, I told her and she, to her face, I'm like, you've got the Mary Poppins bag. And she's like, absolutely. It's like, do you have medicine in there? Yes. Band-Aids? Yes. Tweezers? Yes. Women's hygiene products? Yes. Multiple chapsticks and lotions? Yes. She is not my customer. She does not need Kev's Couture. Me, on the <laughs> other hand, I was wearing a jacket and I had my wallet, my little tiny, tiny like card wallet in one side and my phone on the other with my headphones. And that's all I needed when I went out because I took an Uber and I didn't need car keys. And I was like, that's the difference. It is okay that your idea is not attractive to everybody. So I think that's a good conclusion to this episode is that going back to your niche product and your customer, you don't need to be everything to everybody. You don't need to attract everybody. You just need to attract the right people that get it, that want what you're selling and that there needs to be enough people that want what you're selling to make it worth it to make it worth having this business and spending all this time growing it and dealing with manufacturing. Right. Exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) (laughs) We've been through it. So you know what, everyone, um, we would love for you to go over to our Facebook page, The Product Boss, and share some manufacturing stories or share some stories that you have from what we've discussed in this episode of either nightmares or ways that your contact, your person has really just gone above and beyond. I'm sure they would love a shout out or if you just decide to do what Mina did and drop them a note and say, you helped me get my dream out there, like turn it into reality. Thank you so much. You know, it's those little notes, those little things you do. And then also we all like to share our, our battle stories. So, you know, feeling like, oh yeah, I had a manufacturing process that went horribly wrong. And this is what I learned from it. That helps all of us learn and grow. So please head over to our Facebook page to share. We'll create a post up there and then share that in the comment section. Yeah, and I think you can go directly to it. It's theproductboss.com slash FB group. I think that's it. So check out our show notes just for the direct link, and I think that that's what it is. So this was awesome. Thanks, Mina, for sharing all those stories. It's so interesting (laughs) to know that you're not alone. No matter what industry you're in, you're not alone in some of these things that happen as product entrepreneurs. Yeah, manufacturing can be no fun, but it is such a huge part of your journey. And so hopefully everybody gleans some information from that and they can skip past the nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) So again, check out The Product Boss on Facebook and we will chat with you there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Loved this episode of The Product Boss Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We would so appreciate it. All right, product bosses, let's make it happen. This episode was brought to you by our mastermind, Multi-Stream Machine. Multi-Stream Machine is our 12-week program that takes the high-level knowledge of two product-based experts, myself and Jacqueline, combined with all the inspiration, accountability, and magic of a peer mastermind 
we coach the hot seats through their struggles, facilitate the advice of all their fellow product-based masterminders, and help to focus everyone on more sales. Believe me, it's not only business changing, it's life changing. And we want you to be a part of it. Go to www.theproductboss.com mastermind to learn more or to apply now.